the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. What a timely message for us as we live in a culture that is inundated with sexual and graphic images nearly everywhere we turn. Billboards, commercials, shows, movies. And that doesn't even take account for the type of talk and jesting and joking and language that is used in, a, in such a common manner today. We even hear slogans, and, and again, I understand some of this, but you know, it's my body, my choice, keep the government out of my bedroom. Slogans that we use that tell us that we know better than God, that we know better than God, that we have autonomy, we can say and do things, and who is to tell me that we are wrong or what we should and shouldn't do? Who are you to tell me who I can love, who I can marry, how many people I can marry, how many people I can love, how much their age or station in life is? We, we live in a culture that is um, sexually charged, in a, and that's not a positive thing. It, it's something that we take, something good and beautiful and wonderful from the Lord, and it's been distorted. Um, and now with, again, technology, things that are very fingertips, you can access things that were once a little harder to get to now at the click of a button. And so, yes, God has something very important to say about marriage, about sex, about love and relationships. And we all do well to heed this message as um, especially our young um, covenant children are faced with this. It's in their face constantly in today's time, but it affects us all. Let's, let's begin today as we look again at verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Just exactly what is meant in the seventh commandment. Uh, why is God against adultery in the first place? And, and what exactly is he getting at with this, this seventh word, this, this seventh commandment? Uh, we know in its strictest sense that adultery is, is marital infidelity. Any sexual activity outside the confines of, of marriage is, is considered adultery. Uh, sexual relationship with someone who is other than your spouse. And so what this tells us is, by using negative terms, is, is that God values marriage. He has a high view of marriage. He has a high view of the oneness of man and woman coming together. That marriage and, and sexual intimacy is a covenantal promise. That's why the world can't understand why we don't just acknowledge and accept this anything we call marriage because God has defined it between a man and a woman because what comes with it is beautiful. It's a promise made before God with the furthering of the gospel that comes through children and, and the raising them. And we'll touch more on that, but that God has a high view of marriage. And it's funny, in our culture, the very things that God has a high view of so angers people when you define it in a, such a manner. As we talked about with murder and, and other things here, we, we, we see how our culture is just so angry that you tell me I can't kill a kid. It's just a fetus, you know, and that's just one area we know. But just think about that. We're so passionate. But we do it, we try to numb it, we suppress the truth by saying, well, it's health care, it's this, it's that. And, and the same here. What's well, love? Who are you to tell me 
who I can love. It's the way God made me after all. And we hear this and we can almost become so numb to it and we become so normalized to this culture. But we have to remember and fight for the truth that, that God loves marriage. He values it. He created it after all. And it wasn't created after the fall where he goes, oh, yeah, you guys want to mess with me here? I'll give you marriage. You know, it was before. It was his idea to, to, to grow his people and to spread the message. But God wants it to be protected. He wants marriage, the marriage bed to be protected. And, and sometimes we can forget how serious God takes this. Um, Leviticus 20.10, in the same um, first five books in which Exodus is found, Pentateuch, it says, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulterer shall surely be put to death. And Deuteronomy 22, 22. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lays with the woman and the woman. So shall you purge evil from Israel. And, and so that, that's what even myself, we can become... Because you can watch shows, you can be around things, and, and you, you live in a fallen world, we know. But like, listen how God speaks to that. He says, you shall purge the evil. He doesn't say, you know, that oopsie, that little mistake here, that, that bad choice, that, uh, that affair. No, he says it's evil. It's evil. And, and, and the destruction that comes, it's not because he wants to just hold up a standard to make everyone miserable. No, he knows what comes with this. Now, again, I have to always put this disclaimer because I can feel already as you preach the law of God, which it does, you know, in its first use, as we've said, it's a mirror. It's going to say, here's God's standard. How are you doing with it? And you come face to face. And you're like, whoa. And, and we're going to be reminded here and we're going to walk through this, but the law will humble us. Hey, because let's be honest, myself included, we come in here with some baggage, some of us with a lot of it. Some of it not your fault. Some of it is sexual baggage that you came, but then there's hope for that. But it doesn't change and negate the fact that we preach what God says because it's what's best. God says here's the great betrayal of adultery was one that God told Israel needed to be punished by death. The picture and the image is, is if you'll do that for one whom you say you love, what will you do to one that you like or tolerate or hate? And that was the... That, this, this evil needed to be purged. But again, we know that adultery, like the other six commandments that have come before it, has greater implications. There's that narrow sense, and then there's the greater sense in which all the commandments carry, as Jesus himself interprets for us, as we'll see here in a minute. And so this is where we'll spend a lot of our time. And man, you go through these, it's a, it's a litany of, Ways to break the seventh commandment. It's, it's truly mind-boggling. But what are some of the greater implications of the seventh commandment? Again, we can all foolishly think, well, maybe I've never physically committed adultery, so I'm good, man. I'm checking out. Is there any donuts left? I'll, I'll just get through this. I'm good. But again, as Christ himself will show and God, this command reminds us that any and all type of sexual immorality is forbidden. Any and all type. There's to be no fornication or sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage. And again, Jesus himself, using the external and internal application of the law, that's a great reminder for all of us. You know, 
you've all tried to share with someone who's lost. You say, I've never killed anybody. I've never committed adultery, you know. And, and you have to go then to the internal application to some to make them realize the law is a guide to our heart's desires and actions. And this is what he says in Matthew 5, 27 and 28. Let's look at some of these greater implications. Jesus felt like it was important to deal with lust. Man, sometimes you do wonder when you're a young boy growing up, like, man, did I get like a super dose of that? Because it's a battle. And Bill shared one time, I hope I don't bother me in saying this, but, you know, as, we, as men were talking through certain things, that, but we have to remember that it's a God-given desire. And, and that's where society and even churches, sometimes we can make it dirty and taboo. But no, we need to remember, it's a good thing, but used rightly. And that's what Jesus is saying here but he said, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. Now, again, this man or woman here, we use this. If a woman's looked lustfully to man, same idea. So it's clear that God forbids even lust. So he is now saying that if you've lusted after a woman to have an image or imagine them in a sexual manner that leads to arousal, um, then... You've sinned. You've committed adultery. I mean adultery, one of the Ten Commandments. That's when the looking leads to lusting, which then leads to all kinds of sin with it and sexual gratification. We see that in Psalm 51, do we not? David was looking, then he was lusting, and then he took. And that's, that's the way all sin works. We I, was, I read an article yesterday, two days ago. Man dies. He jumps in a cage with a line. Well, of course. Why would you go in there? It says, do not go across this. You go in with a line. He eats you. Yeah, but think about us with sin. We think, but I am the exception. I can tame this line. We'll be cool. I'll just keep it at a distance. When it gets too close, then I'll leave. But all of a sudden, like that line, we don't know it, boom, it's on us. And that's why David, he thought, I can mess with this. I'm in power. Nobody's going to check me. First off, I'm the king. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. David was supposed to be in the battlefield with his men, but he's back. Then he's looking. Then he's lusting. And then he's taking and all sexual gratification is on the table at that point, right? He can have what he wants. He's going to do what he wants. And he gets a woman pregnant, Bathsheba. And that's what Jesus is saying here that, strictly speaking, adultery is between a husband and a wife and anything that happens outside of that. But, but as we go to the internal and the greater application, to even look with that desire, um, it's sin. Man, imagine this me. Imagine this conversation. But I've had these conversations. I had it with guys that I've known who. A lot of them aren't believers. They're like, yeah, but I mean, everybody does it. I mean, I mean, we've all done it. I mean, it's, come on. And that's what we can do. We can kind of shrug at it and we could dismiss it. But there's other ways. And this is one that is almost assumed today in our culture also. It's premarital sex. Uh, yeah, it's, it's given. If you're in a relationship, of course you're going to be sexually active. Um, which naturally then leads to another problem we have in our society. It's cohabitation. 
you know, now we're not going to get married. Um, you know, we're just, we're together right now. We, we're, we're basically married in our hearts. And you're sinning in your heart and against the Lord. And, and, and yet that's what we have so often. I'll be honest, I struggle to go to when people want to have big weddings and they've been living together. I'm like, why are we doing this? You, you, you've been together. Like, I get married. I'm glad you're getting married. But, like, why are we having a big thing? You, you've already been together. But people live together who aren't married. And it's convenient after all, right? How will we know we're right for each other? One of the greatest, um, I was, found this stat. I'll have to find it again. But I was talking to someone last night about this. One of the greatest places for sexually transmitted diseases in America is a retirement home in Florida. It's old folks now. They get together. Because what happens is, is if a spouse dies and now you got your money, but if I remarry, then we kind of lose that. And so we're just going to cohabitate and hook up and do things. So this is not just like those high school kids, college kids. This is the older folks, man. And there's so many problems in these places. And, and, and what happens is, is that we'll, when we rationalize it, man, but we'll, if we just live together, we can keep our money. And it's like, you know, taking up the cross even affects you when you're older. So as we think about those things, but man, think about how common that is. We, we almost don't even flinch now that schools, which they, uh, again, we can have this another conversation, but promote birth control and condoms and everything else you can have in school. Because, you know, we want them to make sure when they're doing this, just don't get them pregnant, right? That's the mantra. And then the other one, we know that how the greater implication, we've seen lust, we've seen premarital sex, we've seen pornography. Again, I've already made mention of this many a times. It's a battle. It's a vice. It's a grip that um, it's unlimited. And it can have a hold on you. I mean, not to be weird, but you, you guys know growing up, I mean, I'm from the 90s, and the gas station had magazines that were covered on the top. That's, that's kind of where you got it, right? I mean, it was there. Well, nowadays, it's like, hand me your phone. You can hit, I'm not trying to promote how to do this, but it's, it's anything you want. And you have to be careful. Kids are being exposed in middle schools, and I've been around in sixth grade, they're seeing things, or in elementary schools, because of things that they're pulling up, and images that's being shared and texted, um, uh, inappropriate images. And, and we know that damage can be lasting, and, um, man, so that's an area where, and women now are partaking at almost the same rate as men. It's not just a guy problem. And, and so we, we see this in our society. But it's so normalized. We call it OnlyFans now or places like that where you just go and pay and normal people just do things for money, which just leads to my next one, prostitution. We sell our body. Again, it's mine. To do what I want. And in, and in the strictest sense, I get what they're saying. But, in, but what they really mean is you can't tell me that this is wrong is what we're getting at. And, and yet you can do these things. You can purchase people making hundreds of thousands of dollars by putting these things out there. And so we look and we see the seventh commandment, don't commit adultery in the application. <clears throat> and you can see why this one was so fun to put together this week, right? You know, and you think... I was jokingly asking uh, Maddie and Jen yesterday, you guys got any good illustrations on adultery that I could share? Like, I mean, who, like, you know what I mean? Like, when, sometimes I'll text my buddies, you got an illustration on how great God is? It's like, what are you going to do for those? And it's just, 
But hey, you got one on adultery. Um, but we don't want to minimize it. It's there, and it's, it's basically, this is all one big illustration. We know even, as we've talked about this with marriage, but homosexual lust and sex is, is wrong. It's sin. And we're, we're legalizing things um, in our culture that says, no, perverted sexual desires should be the same as ethnicity in our country, and you should recognize it. We're known by that. Like, that's how far we've come. They should celebrate me because I have unnatural sexual desires. That's, that's what this is about. Romans 1, 26 and 27 says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Again, not the unpardonable sin. But when people are like, yeah, but you guys sin too. Exactly. But we're not walking around saying it's normal and it's right and to be celebrated. Rosaria Butterfield in the book, Five Lies of the Anti-Christian Age, she says this, and I found it very helpful. The order of natural sexuality put forward by creation ordinance is one man and one woman in the context of biblical marriage. By the way, Rosaria came out of a She's a fascinating book if you want to read, but a lesbian background, had partners. Not only that, she is the one who spearheaded queer theory at Syracuse. I mean, this is a radical change of God saving her. She's married to a Presbyterian minister now. An amazing story. She's very intelligent. She says, the heterosexual pattern is natural, even if a particular practice is sinful as in adultery. Again, we're not saying that us lusting is right. But as I use the illustration to build, but it's a natural thing to, to, to desire the opposite sex. What we're saying here is it is not natural to desire the same sex. If a man and a woman are committing fornication, but they come to Christ, they can repent of their sin. They could even someday be married in God's, and live in God's obedience and blessing. But if a man and a man in a homosexual relationship come to Christ, they need to break up in order to live in obedience and blessing. You see how the culture tries to twist and say, you can be a gay Christian. You can have these things. You can have your cake and eat it too. Because we call it, we, we use words like marriage and things, and that's not what that is. It's sin. It's a, it's a, like I said here, the unnatural desires. John Murray even said in his commentary on Romans, the implication is that however grievous is fornication or adultery, and it is, the desecration involved in homosexuality is on a lower plane of degradancy. It's unnatural and therefore is a perversion more basic. Rosario comes back and says, in other words, homosexual sins of violation against both. This is helpful for us when we try to help those whom we minister to. It's, it's a violation against both God's pattern of creation and the moral law of God, while heterosexual sin violates the moral law of God exclusively. I thought that was a good category, don't you? It's a way to think through it. Again, we don't crush and want to just throw it, but it's great to think through when they say, well, how is yours different than mine? Well, this gives you a category to help. It's natural to desire these things. And it's not right that our lust is not smoothed over, but it's a natural desire, a man for a woman, a woman for a man. But it is not in the other way. But that's something we deal with, and that's committing adultery. And then Rosario was always so helpful to say when she met Ken, an older fellow, pastor, that I took some of the guys up and we met. She always used to say, my greatest problem wasn't that I was a lesbian, is that I didn't know the Lord. I was at odds with the Lord. And that's the key thing to remember with all this is that this points us to our need for Christ. And our culture has now slowly but surely 
tried to normalize incest and pedophilia. And we're seeing that between family members and children. It's, it's, again, it's how God's designed me, and they're normalizing these and teaching that it's, it's, it's okay. And it's sick. It's a perversion. Um, God's word is very clear that there are more heinous sins, and when you look at the heinousness of sins, and most of them are in a sexual manner. And then we come to divorce, and I know this touches some of us, and it's, it's hard, and it's terrible. But Jesus himself says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Again, understanding the context in which Jesus is speaking, first off, we know God's design is he hates divorce, but due to the fall, we know that sin has affected marriages. Jesus here speaking of divorcing your spouse for unbiblical grounds, just for like, ah, we don't love each other anymore. We're, we're just kind of, we're out. I'm out. Or I found someone else. There are biblical grounds, as we've pro- preached on here and talked about, of, of adultery. If someone commits adultery, you have biblical grounds or abandonment. But he's saying here in which you have just left your spouse, jumping in and jumping out. Uh, we, we see that. We see that a lot. And then this one really is convicting, and it's easy to laugh at, uh, or maybe it is for me, but uh, words. <laughs> uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism tells us we're to be chasing our hearts, words, and thoughts. Our thoughts, words, and deeds are even to be pure. We commit adultery in our words. How many have thought of that? And we're also to guard our neighbor's purity, too, by what we say. Ephesians 5, 3 and 4 says... But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as it's proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Wow. Well, we're all under the heap, aren't we? I mean, God has laid us love. That's what the law does. That's why we confess our sins each week and then hear the promise, because the law should do this. That's why we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from works. I mean, how are we doing, folks? And this is just one command. And that's what the law is to do. It's to remind us that we need help, that I get ahead of myself. But as we've seen here with these, um, we know sexual activity doesn't just typically happen first time between people. It's groomed and fed, as we talked about with the line example. Until adultery is given over in full force. So all activity and intimacy that feeds into adultery, uh, we need to guard and cut it off. I, I remember, and I told you this, and, but there was a woman that I worked with one time and I'm teaching and she'd been divorced and she's like, you know, could you come and talk? And I walked in one time, I'm like, mm, and I, I just, my, I just like, nah, this is, I, I'm out. Like, I was like, I, I can't do this. Like to talk, she wanted to talk about help. You know, she knows I was a minister and everything, but. I was like, I cannot be in here. It doesn't make me right, but I thought about David Bathsheba. There was no attraction or anything like that, but I just thought, no, this is going, I don't want to be in a compromising situation. You know what I mean? Don't want to be alone with a, with a woman or a coworker. And those are challenges to us when, and it's little things that can happen. Um, and we got to flee. Right? Flirting, conversations, compromising settings, rooms, restaurants, chat rooms. Those are all, uh, those are all places that can feed the spirit of adultery. When the efforts of man and woman in love, care, intimacy, and spirituality should all be driven towards our spouse and one another. 
But man, I'll tell you, this is one that I think we get bombarded with the most, and it's a challenge. We're almost like unicorns if you're married now. You know, like, wow. You know, what you, you're married for how long? I mean, what do you guys do now? What do you talk about? You know, like, is it fun? I mean, it's not easy. It's, not, it's work, but it's, it's, it's sad that people think of marriage in that manner. But we've got to put to death by the Holy Spirit these desires that come and flee from sexual temptation and immorality. Well, <clears throat> that's been hard and heavy. So I want to change gears now in this last part, these last little bit here. What are the joys, though, of obeying the seventh commandment? Do we walk around and with, with like a horse with blinders on and we stay locked up and nothing around us and we're like just holding on for dear life till God takes us home? We don't go to a beach or watch a show or do anything anymore because of a chance of temptation? No, I don't think God wants us to live that way. We want freedom. But let's look at the positive side, the good of not committing adultery. We got to go back to the creation, though. Again, I've already made mention. We go back to the garden and understand that this isn't to deny that we are sexual beings and that sex is good, but it's right and proper place for intimacy. There's a right and proper place for it. And the good gift of sex and obeying God is for marriage. So God created man in his own image. The image of God he created him, male and female, Genesis 1, 27 and 28. And God blessed them. Instead of them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Marriage was created by God for lifelong union, man and woman, helpmates, joy, procreation. I, I think as churches, we've got to continue to do a better job of praying for our younger adults and singles that, that they would see the joys of marriage. We need to pray for one another's marriage because it's not always easy and and strains and stresses come, whether it be little children or taking care of those who become older or everything in between that can put pressure there. And we need to pray and never forget the joy that God's given us in marriage. That it's good to have this. That, that God builds his church through families. And, and that um, and there, I know there's some though who providentially have lived or are living a, a period of time as single. Pray that you use that for God's glory and that he would strengthen you to fight and to stand and against those temptations but, and to control ourselves, but that we see this and that we love one another in the midst of it. So one of the joys is marriage. Another one is children. I mean, I see all the little children running around here, and, and I know sometimes when you're a young parent or especially when you're new here, you think everybody's looking at you and thinking, hey, we don't even care. I love it, man. It doesn't bother me. I can hear them crying or getting up or when you do it. And I know for you it's tiring and feels awkward, but I've been in a place where there was none of that. I'll take this any day because we know that God works through his covenant children. He's furthering his kingdom. He's taking dominion uh, and they're not a curse. They're not an intolerable burden. We, 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 we've, we've been given them as a gift. And one of the blessings of sex is the furthering of God's people to have children and, and, and to have that with one another. Yeah. Right on cue with my illustration. It it's, it's all good. It's all good. Um, but again, marriage and children. And then we see union and communion. Union and communion with one another. The world is, is, is more connected than it's ever been. It's probably more lonely than it's ever been. We've got a million Facebook friends and, and yet dying of loneliness. 
According to C.S. Lewis, the Christian idea of marriage is based on Christ's words that a man and a wife are to be regarded as a single organism. The male and female are made to be combined together in pairs, not just simply on a sexual level, but totally combined. There is union and communion, and I think so often we, we forget about that with sexual intimacy or between a husband and wife, but the, the intimacy between a husband and wife is the picture of the intimacy in our union with God. And how much God loves us. How he takes us of his own. He calls us his bride. He has washed us. He has cleaned us up. He has entered a marriage covenant with us. We are united with him. That's one of the blessings of marriage. It's a reminder. We know from the Bible that when his people were unfaithful, when they broke love with him, They were guilty of committing spiritual adultery in Jeremiah, Hosea, Malachi. We see that language. We use some very graphic language of whoredom and other things. When you hoard yourself out to other nations because of love, you've committed spiritual adultery because of my love for you. I've chosen you and you've run after someone else. That's the picture. But he wants to remind them of the greatness and the privilege of being united with him in communion and union to him. And then lastly, we know that that fulfills itself in Christ um, and his church. Um, Think of the language of marriage, the church, in the New Testament, Ephesians 5. Therefore, a man shall leave his wife and mother and hold fast to his wife. Two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound. It's a mystery now. Phil Robertson said, I love women. Those are the strangest things I've ever seen. Now, he means mysterious. He used the word strange. But this is what he meant here. It's mysterious, men and women, is it not? And how it works together and you have a family. He said, but it refers to Christ in the church. He so identifies with us adulterers. So this last couple weeks, I've been able to call you a murderer, and now you're an adulterer. Glad to get that off my chest. But seriously, though, it's who we are. We don't need to be ashamed of that. Because Christ has built in his church and he's called you. Mark with the call to worship. He once again said, hey, you adulterers. You've been cleansed. You're welcomed here. Come to me. And he saved us from our sexual sin. He purchased his bride and he dresses us in white. Brothers and sisters, we all have a past. And maybe some of you even have a present that you're struggling through. We've broken the seventh commandment. Brothers and sisters, flee to Christ once again. We come and hear the word of pardon. We're reminded that we're not treated as our sins deserve. And we come to the Lord. I leave you with the 1 Corinthians 6, 13 through 20. Just hear these words. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise all and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So I then take the members, so shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it's written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immorality, a person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God? 
You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. It convicts us at times, but it also strengthens us and enables us to walk in the ways. I leave you with this illustration because I want it to be such a reminder that, yeah, it's not always easy and we don't always pull it off, but God forgives adulterous sinners like us and that we are being changed and God is strengthening and enabling us to put off things. When a summer I had to work for a um, landscaping company, I was working with men and Mark and probably Roy can kind of test the type of guys that are just kind of rough under the collar. They're not business guys. They're not going to go and be people that want to talk with the public. But they worked hard and they ran the lawnmowers and weed eaters. And we all got to talking and I was the new guys were like, hey, a bunch of them standing around you. You know, you got a woman? I said, yeah, I got them. What about kids? I said, yeah, I've got five kids. And they said, by the same woman? I said, yeah, I do. Married to the same woman and they're all by the same. Well, they were shocked. Like, oh, wow. Well, I want us to stand in this culture and to be like, yes, I've fallen or maybe I've fallen and it's a battle. But by God's grace, I want to do by God's grace to walk in a manner that's pleasing to him because the Holy Spirit that dwells in me. He's bought me at a price. Even if the only sin that we ever committed was adultery, Christ went to the cross for that. And he now indwells me with his Holy Spirit, enable me to willingly and desiringly to to follow him. And may we all have those stories where we say God's grace once again at work in a sinner like me but saves sinners like all of us from now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,